0: Okay, Let's go ahead and go to Song of Songs. What's good about Song of Songs is like, if you ever get to a place where you're starting to feel like burnt out and you're like, you know, getting tired and you're, you know, you're getting disillusioned or something in ministry. If you know how to look back at uh, the Song of Solomon, then you'll be able to find your first love again. Like you'll be able to find the storyline of where you're at. And so it's good to know the whole overview of it, because once you start feeling that like you're working instead of loving God, you're performing instead of having an identity as a lover, then you could go to maybe I'm in a different season now, that maybe God's trying to show me something and I'm missing it. Um, So I'm going to go to, let's go to verse five, verse five, chapter five. Okay, so I'll give the overview again so we know where, where we are in the storyline. So you can kind of walk with me through it if you want. Chapter one, that's when the Shulamite is introduced to Solomon and their love is awakened. And then that's where we hear dark but lovely. That's where that one is. thats It's all the beginning of that. And then that's where the swooning of our first encounter with God is. Uh, chapter two is where the shade of the apple tree is. So that's when we're in our comfort zone. And then we're like, okay, this is really great. Let's just stay here. And then Solomon goes and says, come with me to the wilderness. Come with me to the mountains. And then he wants to go to war with her and to the front lines of the kingdom. Chapter three is where she looked for him, but he couldn't find him because she, she wasn't, he wasn't in her comfort zone anymore. He left and went to the challenge that she didn't go up to. And so she's looking for her. Then that's when Solomon returns. And then chapter four is where you start seeing, uh, you are fair, my love. Uh, one look of your eyes ravish my heart. That's where he's trying to re-encourage her to put courage inside of her that God still loves you even in the midst of your disobedience and immaturity. And he's trying to challenge her to step back up to it and come back and come back and let's keep walking this journey of love with each other. All right, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. All right, so that awake, O north wind, and awake, O south wind, the north was where the enemies were from. So when you say awake, O north wind, now that she just went through all of this stuff, and battle, and difficulty, and knowing that God still loves her, now she's saying, awake, oh north wind. So she's like, okay, now I know what it's like to be challenged. Now I know what it feels like to disobey God, and I don't like it, and I want to keep following God. So that's when like, you feel like maybe the prodigal son, or maybe the prodigal daughter, and you're like, okay, I came back to God, I disobeyed him, I didn't do what he was calling me to do, and I hated it. And I don't want to do that ever again. And no matter what Jesus has for me, I'm going to do now. That's where she's saying, awake, oh, north wind. So awake, any challenge that God has for me, now I'm going to take on. That's what she's saying there. And then she says, oh, come south. So the south wind, the south wind is where all the spices and all that other stuff came from. So that's where all the pleasurable stuff is. That's where the abundance, the blessing, that's like the good stuff, right? Like that kind of stuff. So she's not saying only give me persecution, only give me suffering, only give me everything that I hate. She's saying, okay, anything that challenges me, I'll take and any blessing of God that he wants to give me, I'll take too. And she's saying, whatever God has for me, the challenge or the, or the blessing, I'm going to be ready to take on both of them. That's where she's at right now before she comes into chapter five. So in chapter five, I have come into my garden, my sister, my spouse, I have gathered my myrrh, my spice, I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my, my, my wine and my, wil- my milk. Okay, so this is the beloved. This is Solomon saying that. When he says, now I have come into my garden, it's no longer her garden. Or it's now now her heart belongs to him. So that means that's when your set-apartness, your consecration, your lifestyle of holiness, you're picking up your cross and following Jesus. That's where you're like... Jesus, every dream, everything, every emotion inside of my life, in my heart, I want it to be yours. I don't want to have anything inside of my heart that isn't yours now. Any dream, any passion, anything that belongs to the world, it's gone. And I want everything to be what glorifies you, everything that you love, everything that you hate, every, everything that you have, all the same emotions, it's all the same. That's what she's, that's what essentially he's saying now. Now her heart is mine. So, you know, that might, you might even um, like, I mean, don't think of it that in a sense of like a non-covenantal, non-marriage uh, relationship. But that's like in a relationship where the heart of the person is now completely consumed with the other person in the context of marriage. Because that, that shouldn't happen before marriage. Or it gets really ugly. It gets, it gets uh, bang it. Yeah, right? When you're obsessed with somebody, and it's not marriage yet, it's panget, right? Because it doesn't look good. You're, you don't look right, everything's like, panget's ugly. So it's like, don't call each other panget either. Sometimes when I go to, um, I go meet people in the villages or the barangay, they'll go like, oh, this is Mr. Guapo, this is Mr. panget. And then he'll go like, oh, hello, I'm panget. And I'm like, you guys are okay with that? But that's, what, that's how Filipinos are, they're like that, I don't know. So like, um, don't do that. All right, so th- don't call each other panget. Okay, anyways, let's go to verse uh, chapter 5 and move a little bit further. All right, now this is the section where the bride, like the church, gets challenged with, I am wholeheartedly obeying God. I'm doing everything God has for me in this season. But then for some reason, persecution, suffering, and difficulty come. But there's no, it's not like you did something wrong, right? It's not like, um... It's not like you got drunk, you went to work, and then you got fired. And you're like, Lord, why is all of this happening to me? Well, it's because you got drunk. That's why it happened to you, because now you're getting fired. It's not like that. It's like, well, now I'm, I, I'm doing everything I can at my job. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm excelling in my season. I'm being a faithful servant, and they fired me. It's like that. Now it's like you're obedient, but now there's difficulty. That's what this season is. All right, so let's go ahead and move forward. It says, um, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leapt up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchman who went about, this is verse 6 or verse 7, went about the city, found me. They struck me, they wounded me, the keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I'm lovesick. So now it's completely different from the, ne- the last chapter. The last chapter, Solomon was saying, come with me to the mountains. And she said, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay here. Now she's coming with Solomon wherever Solomon wants, but she still can't find him. And then she gets beaten. And then she gets abused, and then she gets persecuted. And then the response of her heart now in her maturity isn't, um, it's not blaming, it's not cursing God, but it's when when you see Solomon, tell him that I'm lovesick. And so that's where God wants to mature us. And so that might even happen, you might feel like on DTS. You might feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, unless you're late. And then, um, and then you get punished or something. Maybe not, you don't get punished, but maybe something bad happens in life. Like you get a difficulty, or you get a struggle, or you get a persecution. You might even notice that when you start calling your friends and your family at home. They might be telling you you're freaking weird now. And you're like, why are you just, what are you doing? No one does this in our city. No one's a missionary. Filipinos aren't missionaries and we're not missionaries. Like only foreigners are missionaries, you're not that. Like they might be throwing all that weird stuff at you. Or you might even be a foreigner and then they might still be saying that to you. And then, But you're doing what God's telling you to do. But you're still suffering and having difficulty. And then that's where God's looking at our response. And he's saying, when you see God, when you see Solomon, tell him I'm lovesick. Tell him no matter what's happening in my life, no matter how many people persecute me, no matter how many people are uh, creating difficulty in my life. Verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am lovesick. So that's what he, he wants to develop at that point. All right, then you go over, let's move on a little bit further. Chapter six, because I'm going to actually, um, so then actually, no, I'm going to go through this. This is actually pretty good. All right, so the Shulamite, this is now what the Shulamite says to Solomon. So before it was Solomon saying it to the Shulamite, Solomon was uh, telling the Shulamite, the identity of the bride. She was saying, you are fair, my love. You are my beloved. Your eyes are like doves. Your neck is like the Tower of David. One glance of your eyes ravishes my heart. So now what this is what she's saying to him in the midst of difficulty. She starts, she starts worshiping him. She starts showing her that I still see you, God, for who I see you as. And I didn't lose any of my perspective of who you are, even in the midst of my suffering. So then she says, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousands. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed by milk, a fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping with the liquid of myrrh. So you can see that there's some of the things that Solomon spoke over the Shulamite, that the Shulamite is now speaking over Solomon. The lips, the eyes, the, the way that he presents himself, the, the aura around him. There, he's still, now she's able to see Jesus in the midst of difficulty. Right. So you might feel like that sometimes in another season where you're going through difficulty, but then you think God is is mean now. Now you think God is cursing you. Now we feel like, oh, it's so hard. God's forgotten me. But now it's different. Now she's in this season where it's tough in her spiritual life. But now she's looking at Jesus saying, Lord, even though I'm going through all of this persecution, your eyes are still focused on me. You still love me with all of your passion. You still have, your body is like a pillar. Your legs are like pillars. Like you're still strong. You're still magnificent. You're still like, you're still fiery. You're still focused on the thing that you have. And everything that she says in difficulty is now pure worship. And that's very mature. You want to get to this place of maturity where when you have difficulty in the midst of obeying God, you still see him as the perfect and righteous and loving and passionate king that he is. That's, a, that's the state of maturity that you want to get to. So again, you could even put it in your heart, and if you sense like this is where God has you, now you could tell yourself, okay, Lord, now when I get challenged, when, I'm, when I know I'm obeying you, I'm on that narrow road, I'm consecrated, you're my first love, and difficulty comes, now you could tell yourself, I'm going to still worship you wholeheartedly. I'm still going to declare the goodness of God. I'm still going to trust in his faithfulness. And you, I feel like some of you might even be talking to God that way right now. You might be actually feeling like, okay, I've gone through that season of disobeying. I'm now obeying the Lord. I'm starting to feel difficulty, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this thing with the Holy Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship him no matter what is happening. And that's, that's good. That's how the progression of our maturity of love actually works out. Okay, so let's go ahead. I'm going to go highlight one more thing again. Uh, Let's just go to chapter 6, verse 5, before we go into um, the ministry of the Shulamite. All right, so chapter 6, verse 5. I want you to look at it. And then it says on verse 5, turn your eyes away from me, for they overcome me. And so that's essentially... A little bit of the same thing that Jesus was saying earlier to the church in the chapter before. One glance of your eyes ravishes my heart. Remember, we were praying that over that yesterday. He says that again. So he says, turn your eyes away from me, for they overcome me. So it's like every time the Shulamite looks at Solomon, Solomon's overcome by her look. And so in the context of the church, the church, when, when whether it's in the stage before or this stage, the church's eyes overcome Solomon's heart, the Jesus's heart. And so that's another good thing you have to realize too when you're on your journey. Whatever stage of life you're in, if your heart is for Jesus. You're a woman or a a man after God's heart like David. When you look at Jesus, you overcome his heart. And so you want to think about that. You kind of want to meditate on that. He has all the power in the world. He has all of the armies of the planet. Um, even Jesus, when he was about to get crucified, Peter cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus said, if I wanted to attack them, I could send all of the legions on earth, on heavens, to attack them. But the day has come for my, for my suffering, for my passion. And then so then he gets crucified. But then if you also notice, in um, the Old Testament, whenever God sent like one angel It destroyed hundreds and thousands of people. So like when an angel is in our midst, they could rip us apart in like five seconds. Like they're not weak. Angels are incredibly, incredibly powerful. And then he has all of this power. He sits on like gems. And so like, here, I'll give you a story, right? Uh, One of my friends, he went into the Middle East and he was talking to, I think, a Saudi Arabian prince or something like that. And he was a massage therapist. And so they told him, this is one of the best massage therapists in the world. He's Korean. So like, um, come and massage the Saudi Saudi Arabian prince. So he comes in and he's shocked how big this kingdom is. It's a huge kingdom this, this guy has. He has a huge house. He walks in and there's gold and diamonds everywhere. He goes into the bathroom and one of the guards get mad at him. And then they say, hey, you can't come in here. You're gonna die. Like, I'll kill you right now. And then the, then the guys come up to him and say, no, 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 no. That's the servant of the prince. He's come to massage him. He got healed. He, he, he belongs to whatever lord he's worshiping, and he needs to be able to go wherever he goes. So this is, this is Saudi Arabia. So then he goes in, he goes into the bathroom, and he's absolutely shocked. The, the faucet is made of gold and diamond. So the whole thing is interlaced with gold and diamond. And it's just like, so when you turn it, it's like diamond. That's what, that's what he brushes his teeth with. Like he puts it on diamond. How many of you would just like one piece of that diamond for your outreach money, right? If, you, if we had one, if he just broke one part of that faucet off, it would fund this whole school. Like that's how much, that's how powerful this guy is. Okay. Jesus, or the the father in heaven, sits on a throne of precious stones. He puts his butt on precious stones. Like if we had a diamond, you would stick it in like a really nice thing. And oh, this is so rare. I can't, I don't want to get it dirty. I don't want to get anything wrong with it. Like, I got to sit it right here. Jesus has so much of the importance, he has so much of these rare commodities that he created, he could sit on it. Like, imagine if I gave you a really fat diamond and you just said, hey, I'll just stick it on this plastic chair and sit on it. Like, right, how many of you, if you got an engagement ring, if someone gives you an engagement ring, it's this big, fat diamond, you're like, great, I'm just going to stick it in my pocket and sit on it. Right? That'd be so weird. But he, even his road is paved with gold. It's so pure of gold, it's crystal clear. Like, I don't even see that. I don't even know what gold looks like when when it's that pure. It's so pure, it's clear. He has everything he could ever want, but when you look at him, it overcomes his heart. Like, he doesn't stand and look at his own throne. Like, he doesn't look at his own throne and go like, wow, my throne overcomes my heart. He doesn't look at his, his, uh, his pathway of gold and go like, wow, this gold is so pure, it, it, it ravishes my heart. Like, what moves God's heart is when we look at him it's when we worship him. We have the ability to move the heart of God. So that's what you have to realize you got. Like you may not have a million dollars right now, but you got two sets of eyes that when you lay them on God, his heart is ravished. And you have to, you have to, you could even just meditate on that. You could just pull this scripture up. And you, if you ever, you feel like you know, you're obsessed with somebody or you love somebody, you're thinking somebody and you're so depressed and lonely and you're like, man, I wish this person would just look at me. You could just look at verse five and read in chapter six, turn your eyes away from me for they overcome me. And you're like, Jesus, is that real? And then you just start talking back to him. You start praying, reading the word with him. And then, and then you'll start realizing it's a truth in the Bible. That when we look at Jesus and we worship him, he, he's, imp- he's overcome. He's ravished by the glance of our eyes. Oh, we were going through in our uh, men's small group, right? We got one for staff. We're going over a uh, covenant of my eyes. And then it's like where you make a covenant with your eyes that you'll never look at anything immoral. Ever. Ever. And if you ever see anything immoral, you got to cut it off of your life. Like, chop off your eyeball, cut off your hand. Like, so we're getting a saw, our next, our next small group, um, we're bringing a saw. So that if anybody looks at something wrong and does something wrong, we're gonna chop off their hand. Yeah, we're not doing that. But they might delete their Facebook app. I don't know, something like that. All right, so like they'll delete an app, they'll stop looking on the internet, you know, things like that. So there's just this, there's this trembling with our eyes. Because your eyes, like we were learning uh, yesterday, the first sin that ever entered came through the Adam and Eve seeing that they were naked. They are like, who told you that you're naked? And then now they see it. And then it says, if you eat from this tree, now you'll know. Now you'll be able to see good and evil. And then your eye gates are the, they're the gates into your heart. And so when your heart is pure and you look to God, it ravishes him. But then if you look in the book of Proverbs, haughty eyes are an abomination to God. So if you have eyes that are haughty, or they're like, oh God, whatever, who are you? Who cares about you? To God, that's an abomination. That's the same word he uses for witchcraft and homosexuality. He says, if you're prideful and you have it in your eyes, it's an abomination. But if you love Jesus and you're pure at heart and you're faithfully serving him and you look at him, it ravishes his eyes. That's how powerful that word is. All right, let's go ahead and go to the next one. Verse 11. And then we're going to, I'm going to go over uh, ministry and leadership after this. All right. Verse, uh, oh wait, verse, oh yeah, verse 11, chapter six. All right, this is the Shulamite. She's a little bit more mature now. She knows that her eyes ravish Solomon. She's in this place where she gets it. She gets the truth of God. She knows Jesus is passionately in love with her all the time. And she's passionately with Jesus, in love with Jesus all the time. That's where she's at now. She's very mature in her walk with Jesus. And then she goes in in verse 11 and says, I went down to the garden of nuts to see the avenger of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and see the pomegranate had bloomed. Before I was aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of the noble people. And so what you see here is that now she's going to the garden and she's, she's taking care of the garden as if it's hers and Jesus. Now it's our garden. Now the ministry and the outreach and everything that we do, that's not just me working for you as a slave. That's not just you coming into here and telling me what to do. That's just not me going doing it by myself as a worker. That's now me and Jesus are going and leading and doing ministry together. And I know that he's with me and I do it as a lover, not a worker. That's what she stepped into in her maturity in life. And so that's when you lead and you know, you, it's like you're, you can't burn out anymore. Because now it's like you're leading with the one that you love. And you're not looking for attention from somebody else. You're not trying to find affirmation from somebody around you. You're not dependent on your team for being the ones that are going to feed you. Now you're, you're mature as a lover of God. And you're an adult now you're not drinking milk, you've been through suffering, you worship God through difficulty, you've persevered, you've tested in time, and now you're going to finish this race like this the whole way through. And this this stage of your life could be like 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Like once you get to this place where Jesus is a lover, that's where you want to be for the rest of your life. You don't want to keep going back and forth between, I'm a slave of God, I'm neglected by God, God doesn't like me, now I'm gonna come back to God like a prodigal son, that's milk. You don't want to be following Jesus for three years and you're still drinking milk. You want to get to the garden of nuts, right? Garden of nuts in the avenger of valley and seeing if the pomegranates have bloomed. You want to get to that place where you look at that garden and you're ready to take care of that garden with Jesus as a lover, as a, as a bride, not as a worker or a maiden outside getting darker and darker alone, right? You notice the two differences of the of the progression of this storyline. She started out as someone that was dark, that nobody cared about, that was getting darker and darker and darker and rejected and rejected and rejected, and then it progressed where now she's in the garden with the king taking care of the garden together that's the progression of the great commission actually which we're going to go break into a little bit